Okay, Pasa Mufasa, welcome to the Micropreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Dennis Walker. Today on the pod, we have got a legend of the mushroom media game. You know him for that silky smooth voice and for the distinguished air of professionalism and scientific legitimacy that he brings to the micropreneurial hustle. Mushroom people of the world, rejoice! We've got Darren of Welcome to Mushroom Hour on the pod today. Ready, fire, aim, and luckily, once you get rolling, you get some momentum, forces come to your aid, the universe conspires to support you. Darren has been an inspiration to us here at Micropreneur since before we launched the podcast, and it was his body of work and the Welcome to Mushroom Hour podcast, in fact, that set the bar for the quality and consistency that we hope to achieve with the Micropreneur podcast. He is a repository of mycological knowledge, and I still haven't figured out where the hell he's coming from. Every time he walks out of a bush and says, hi there, welcome to Mushroom Hour. Perhaps it's an Alice in Wonderland type situation. In any case, today we're talking about starting your micropreneurial venture before you're ready. Just going for it and delivering results while learning on the job. We're talking about real life case studies of mushrooms saving the world. We're talking psilocybin mushrooms, as we often do here on this podcast. And we're dialing into some upcoming projects on the horizon for Welcome to Mushroom Hour. So buckle in, double down on those microdoses, and sip on your lion's mane coffee or adaptogenic mushroom beer, depending on what time zone you're in. Because yes, right now, you are in fact connected to a worldwide community of micropreneurs making big moves to advance the role of fungi as a legitimate means of solving problems. And we're in this together. So let's get this show on the road. Okay, pasa, mufasa. Darren from Welcome to Mushroom Hour. We are stoked to host you on the pod. This is like a crossover episode in the Mycoverse, and we couldn't be happier about it. How's it going today, Darren? It's going really well. I'm stoked to be here, and thanks for the invite on the show. All right, first things first. Did you pop out of the womb with that silky smooth podcasting voice, or did you have to develop it with great care and precision? I'll say that I naturally kind of had an all right voice. Truthfully, I spent years as a sales telemarketer. Ugh, dirty secret uh, and that kind of honed my voice a little bit you know i'm sure you have the same thing it takes a minute to get used to the sound of your own voice so i have to admit i didn't even like listening to myself on the podcast at first but we're through that we're on the other side and i appreciate i appreciate that man awesome how much positive support and affirmation you can get once you start putting yourself out there i think everybody goes through that curve no matter what you're doing where you're not sure how people are going to receive it but in general the more you put it out there and the more mistakes you make and the more vulnerable you are i think it it turns around in your favor in general so yeah okay okay let's get down to business then so we love talking origin stories here on the podcast because there are many people out there who are forming their own origin stories with the mushroom universe and with micropreneurism right now at this very moment and we love to share the process behind that and behind established micropreneurs like yourself because nobody rolls out of bed and runs a successful fungi centric business at least nobody that i know so i'm curious what got you into mushrooms darren and what got you into putting a podcast out for the world to hear that's fungi centric man that's such a good question and i'm definitely curious about that with you as well you know for me it was a journey of synchronicity i think as most things are and just influences in my life you know really a seminal moment where uh, a buddy of mine showed me Paul Stamets and was like, have you ever heard of this cat? Look what he, and showed me the 
what is it, eight ways that mushrooms can save the world, the famous talk, and it was just like, psh, light switch went off. Like so many people, you see all these answers to problems. You know the world has all these problems, but how do you fix it? And so seeing mushrooms and their ability to remediate environments, remediate our own inner spaces, you know, all the different things that it covers just kind of like is opening a doorway. And actually, I have to give a huge shout out and a huge uh, dose of gratitude to the f- team, the family over at Fungi Academy down in Guatemala, because it was actually, uh, there's, there's a conference in Marin County where I used to live. We now live like just north of that. Uh, but there's a conference called Bioneers Conference, which most of your listeners have probably heard of. It's micropreneurs, but it's really any kind of environmental entrepreneur or activist or, you know, this amazing blend of humans. And in the kids area of Bioneers, there were these like really mushroom centric or this like group of little myco nerds growing mushrooms and they were all huddled around these like mushroom spawn jars i'm like what are you guys doing here like who are you why are you in the kids area first of all but it was so funny and they were just so open and i was just getting started on my journey and i was talking to them about you know cultivating at home and everything and i was like man you know i hope you guys i want to go down to guatemala and learn how to grow mushrooms and forage for mushrooms and uh you know rest in peace oliver marave he was the the guy who was i was first introduced to uh, at the conference passed away just this past year, unfortunately. And he was like, man, do not come down to Guatemala. If you want to learn about mushrooms, stay right here in the Bay area and introduced me to Bay area, applied mycology, one of the local mycology clubs that actually had a space in counterculture labs in Oakland. And that was transformational, man, just being exposed to people. And that club had Ken Litchfield, who's kind of like an ancient legend of Bay area mycology. Alan Rockefeller was in the crew um, so you just got exposed to all these voices and suddenly like mushrooms weren't this mystery here, all these people talking about it. Yeah. And then from there, it just kind of took off. And, uh, in terms of the channel, you know, mushroom hour, social media, cause before a podcast started out as a social media channel. And that was actually my wife doing these videos of me being an absolute goofball doing the whole, hi there. Welcome to Mushroom Hour deal. And I was like, do not put that out to the world. Like, that is just me being. But she started to, and people were like, hey, I want to see more of this. So we're like, you know what? Fuck it. Let's just make a channel. Let's put it out there. And as that metastasized, you know, I realized that one of my dreams would be to have to do a podcast about mushrooms. And at that time, it was really kind of mushroom revival. And there were a couple other podcasts that hadn't really, like, they had done a few episodes. I was like, you know what? I'm not going to get in my head about this. People might be already doing it. I want to talk about this stuff. I want to learn from people. And I'm sure as you know from doing this, boom, the learning acceleration of just that, you know, having guests on and having to interview someone intelligently spurns your own research, your own growth. So yeah, the podcast for the past year and a half or so has really like exponentially increased my own understanding of mushrooms, fungi, biodiversity in general, probably the universe, but yeah, that's that's kind of the the story, man. That's awesome. And I think it's kind of similar 
from my end where a lot of us have experience with mushrooms, you know, like maybe 15 years ago, I took my first dose of psilocybin mushrooms. But at that time, there wasn't an infrastructure that I was aware of to like speak about it. You know, it was just connecting with friends. It was very underground. And then over time, I got my degree in media studies. And, you know, there was a lot of people that I really respected that were into mycology, but I didn't feel like there was this infrastructure or this ability to speak openly about it. And then over the past year and a half, especially with the transformation of the world and a lot of things going online, I started to connect with more people. Fungi Academy being one of them, of course. Uh, Trad Cotter's book, Organic Mushroom Farming and Mycoremediation, it really opened my mind because that was the first time I had ever heard of mushroom packaging. It was the first time I'd ever heard of mycoremediation. And just with the way everything's going, I was like, almost every level of Maslow's hierarchy of needs can be met with fungi. Why aren't more people looking at this? Why aren't more people taking this serious? And then a little gentle prodding from a few friends. Once I had introduced the idea, they're like, dude, you should jump in. You should get on that. Start a podcast, you know, start, you know, I already had a YouTube channel. It wasn't fungi centric, but I was able to pivot over to that. And then when I was first considering starting this podcast, and the first thing I did was to research who else is doing mushroom podcasts. And of course, you came up, Mushroom Revival came up, a handful of other ones that I don't think are currently active. And it was really when I came across yours, I was like, okay, there are people doing this. There are people doing this seriously. There were a few people I knew personally that were involved in the space, some writers, Michelle Janikian, my friend Simon Eugler. So once I got, you know, four or five people that I considered to be kind of heavyweights or, you know, have their own following and, and be very established, I felt way more comfortable about doing what I was doing. So starting small, you know, starting with people that I knew personally and then reaching out to people. But yeah, so you, you really set the bar though when I started listening to the podcast. I was like, all right, I got to get a better microphone. All right, I got to really jump on this. But I'm curious about your thought process with starting Welcome to Mushroom Hour podcast because this podcast was very much a ready, fire, aim situation. I didn't have a ton of pre-production. I didn't have a whole business plan laid out. I just decided to record a handful of episodes with a handful of friends and it really exponentially accelerated from there. So I'm curious about your thought process and planning. Did you just drop that first episode and you're like, let's go? Or was it something that took a lot of time, a lot of patience, a lot of care, etc.? Ready, fire, aim is the perfect way to describe it. And it took a lot of time to kind of get out of my own way about it. Because when there is like, you know, other podcasts out there already doing it, you're like, am I even qualified? You got some close friends. That's how I started as well. So I had some friends that were in the mushroom game, micropreneurs, if you will. And, you know, I kind of put out the feelers to them. They're like, oh, yeah, I'd love to come on if you end up doing that. And so eventually it was just like, all right, are we going to do this or not? You've got the people. You have a general sense of how to do this. But I will say that audio, equipment, all that kind of stuff, I had no clue. Uh, and that part of that was what was keeping me away from it is because we all get that like perfectionist thing of, well, hold on, I got to research all the equipment. I got to figure out how to do it. And huge credit to my wife, kind of without me knowing, ordered a couple, you know, cheap USB mics and was like, all right, here are your mics. Let's go. Uh, and we scheduled the first couple interviews. And then for me, I just set a deadline of like the first episode has to come out on this date. And that pressure just kind of forced me to, to birth it into existence. But man, I listened to some of those old episodes and the audio is just like it hurts my ears. And so that was a big learning curve for me. And actually a huge shout out to a friend of mine, a dear friend, Chris Peck, a local musician in Marin County, kind of a, a local legend who heard my audio and was like, here. Let me help you out a little bit. Uh, and actually, another guy I need to give some huge credit to is 
I don't know if you're aware of the podcast called Future Ecologies. Uh, so one of the hosts of Future Ecologies, Mendel, uh, kind of, I think my wife reached out to him because she loved that podcast and he gave me a whole rundown of like how to do better audio editing, how to maybe get some better simple pieces of equipment or set up a room a little bit better. Um, so yeah, totally ready, fire, aim. And luckily, you know, but it's that classic thing. It's kind of like you said, once you get rolling, you get some momentum forces come to your aid. The universe conspires to support you and a hundred percent. That's what happened. And I'm sure you also know, once you get a couple guests under your belt, it's easier than to reach out to people. You get your flow, go, you know, it all, it all comes together. And that's always my advice to people when they're asking about, you know, I want to start a mushroom thing. I want to do, yeah, a mushroom center business, a fungi center business. I'm like, well, first things first, just get started. Like the sooner you get started, that's when you start learning the stuff you're going to need, the skills you're going to need. Yeah. I mean, you said it perfectly. No one comes out of the box ready to do this thing, but the sooner you start, the sooner you start that journey to get in there. And it's so awesome that there's so many educational institutions that are popping up and starting to embrace this. Huge shout out to Juliana Furchi, to Fungi Foundation, right, with their K through 12 curriculum worldwide. Because coming from where we're coming from, and you know, I'm 32 years old, so that, that generation, like I, I had never heard a lot of this stuff, right? You might've had a small fraction of a unit in a high school biology class that talked about mushrooms, but we had no idea how deep this game went. And even, even less so, for psilocybin mushrooms and for mental health. And now all of a sudden you've got all these different programs, psychedelics today, right? Fungi Academy being another one. And then Fungi Foundation that is really starting to penetrate all kinds of mainstream, the mainstream. And so speaking of micropreneurs who we're both mutually inspired by, I'm eternally indebted to you, Darren, for introducing me to Josephine Nakakandi of EcoAgric Uganda. She's been on both of our podcasts everything she stands for, and the whole international mycology community that's supporting her. Shout out Mike Tyson and the Ugandan micropreneur she works with. It brings a radiant joy to my heart, as it does so many people. And I see, I see the success that she's tapping into with fungi cultivation and appreciation. It's brought a lot of uplifting opportunities to an entire region of abjectly impoverished people to disadvantaged women, micropreneurs. And I just imagine that this approach and this outreach and education, it can work in so many other places around the world. And I would love to see that. That's something I hope to be more involved with uh, growing up in the border region of San Diego, Tijuana. I see so many migrants coming up who are living in just undesirable conditions and really challenging hands they've been dealt by, by life. And I see, well, if it works for Josephine and that community, how many more times can this be extrapolated upon in different regions of the globe with people who could really use this information and this education? So I'm curious about how you first connected with Josephine and how did you tap into that whole situation that's happening in Uganda? Well, honestly, it was Josephine started posting on social media and she was, you know, it's so funny circling back to what you said at the beginning, you start putting yourself out there. She just started posting stuff. She was tagging me in her videos. And, you know, as I'm sure, you know, sometimes you get tagged in things and you're like, what is going on? I'm going to untag myself from that. I'm not about that. But I saw her video and I was like, I can't believe this is real. Like I am all about this. This is everything that we talk about when you talk about mushrooms saving the world, you talk about food security and underdeveloped areas. I mean, this is, they're, they're doing it. And so I reached out to her and I was like, I got to have you on the show. And, you know, we worked through the technology. Now she's really got such a better setup and it's got, but, you know, we worked through that initial hurdle, 
connected and just hearing her voice and her enthusiasm and the conversation that I had with her was just like, oh yeah, heart opening, man. Just everything they're doing down there is super inspiring. And it takes a really unique person though, because like we have all these potentials and they're showing that it's possible. But there's also that person that has to be willing to like put in the work, have the discipline, you know, and you mentioned Mike Tyson, he's been helping her a lot with cultivation advice. And he told me like, in everyone he's trained, he's never had someone really absorb all the information and then just go apply it immediately. Like they hang up on a consulting call and she goes out and inoculates tons of spawn using some of their new tech. So like, there's so much hope there. There's a system that's replicable in so many areas of the world. And like, that's the potential that we're all like, ah, we get so excited about. But I will say that you need a person there who's like a force of nature, who's like, just going to keep going, keep going. COVID hits, whatever, keep going, keep going. You know, supply shortages, issues with government, all that stuff that can happen. It, you know, Josephine's really special and that she'll just plow through that and keep going. And like you're saying that the change you see in that community in the women she works with, the proof's right there. Like this is, this is everything we talk about. So yeah, I mean, I'm really excited to see the international community coming together, see her connecting with other organizations. And, you know, maybe this is something where they are developing kind of protocols of how to find local substrate, adapt these protocols to different areas. And man, suddenly, yeah, mushroom saving the world seems like a much realer possibility. And what's so cool is how she does use all these commonly available substrates. I believe using hay, corn down here in Mexico. I learned that you can use corn. And when you do a lot of online research, it can be overwhelming. And you see all these different materials you need. I had no idea that I could grow on corn. And then next thing I know, it's like one of the best substrates you can use. And so I just think that's another area of focus I'd love to see more development is in is uh, people finding commonly available substrates and materials for people who want to get into this. Because, you know, for a lot of people in the world, 100 bucks, 200 bucks is untenable to get to start up an operation and to keep it going. But if you can really grow mushrooms on coffee grounds and you're in a region equatorial belt with a lot of coffee, I think there's something there. So I know that there are probably people already doing this research I'm not familiar with yet, but I think that's awesome. All right. First psilocybin mushroom experience. What's the origin story of your initial foray into the wild and wonderful world of sacred mushrooms, Darren? Where were you? How old were you? What did that look like? Yeah, and actually, this is something I don't usually talk about, only because with my general look, with the subject matter, it's the first thing and people always want to go there and talk about. And I like to kind of move that to the side and show people all the other amazing aspects of fungi and like how vast this topic really is. But... To talk about it because you asked it was me as a teenager kind of inglorious trying these mushrooms didn't really know what i was doing can't say that i even had that great of an experience because my set and setting wasn't right um you know i had some rough times in my teen years like a lot of people do and it brought up stuff for me that i wasn't ready to deal with or confront or and it wasn't like I was in a social situation and got super anxiety or anything like that. I was, I was by myself, but it just brought up some stuff that I wasn't ready for, you know, and later on down the track, kind of, uh, what do I want to say? Artful use of that substance further on in my life did help me kind of process some of that trauma, which is of course, one of those potentials about psilocybin mushrooms that we all get so excited about is it helps us navigate kind of our inner life and integrate trauma and just deal with stuff. Uh, and so later on down the track, 
that did happen. And, you know, I have to give credit there for some of that, some of that inner work that was really made possible for me. And I'm a big proponent where I don't, I think what psilocybin mushrooms give you access to is something that people have accessed other ways. You know, you get to some of this healing your trauma, dealing with depression in other avenues, but for a lot of people, it's one of the most effective avenues uh, and really kind of gets that process started. And I really appreciate that about you and putting the legitimacy of all mushrooms and the fact that all mushrooms are magic first and foremost. I think Trad Cotter also said that is somebody asked him, you know, uh, are you doing a lot of work with magic mushrooms? And he goes, well, aren't all mushrooms magic, right? So I think that's really important distinction to recognize. And I've talked about my origin story, you know, probably it was episode 29, the first time I ever actually brought it up. But I think there's this important emergence that's happening of people coming out of the psychedelic closet is one way of phrasing it. For so long, it's been so taboo. A lot of these people have these very meaningful experiences and like maybe it's only one time in their life, but they don't really have a place to talk about it. And I think the cultural climate around that is starting to change over the last year, over the last two years with all of this research is coming out. So it seems like almost every day or certainly every week where people reach out to me and they're like, hey man, you know, I never really got to talk about this, but uh, I, I, I wanna talk about it. One story I will share is uh, my first macro dose experience, which I haven't shared yet. And I had probably taken mushrooms three times at that point in my life, I was 18, and I just read Food of the Gods, which is still a pivotal work for me. Terrence McKenna, Food of the Gods, highly recommend it. There's a great plethora of mushroom literature, and I think that one is a pretty important book for myself personally, but I just decided to go for it. I was at this crossroads in my life where I was overthinking everything, you know, headed to college and like, there's just so many new opportunities. And I was like, what's this next chapter gonna look like? And I knew that there was a relationship there waiting for me to tap into because I had seen glimpses of it on, you know, taking a half eighth of mushrooms or whatnot. So I just decided to go for the macro dose. And, you know, I won't bore you all with the details of what I experienced too much, but what really happened in that experience was that I saw that there was a sentient intelligence to nature and it really fundamentally altered my worldview from thinking about, you know, a lot of my peer groups were just kind of mushrooms were like a fun thing you do. You play beer pong and, you know, you eat a half eighth of mushrooms. Well, <laughs> this experience fundamentally shifted that worldview for me and it's really launched me just on this journey of inquiry that continues today. So I just thought I'd share that a little bit and in the same capacity, I was by myself, it was silent darkness and I was like, just show me what you got, like show me what's out there. I'm here, I'm, I'm listening, I'm interested. So that's sort of the uh, first macro dose that I took that really shifted my worldview to, oh man, there's something serious going, there's something here, there's something that we gotta look into further. And, and I think more and more part of this cultural shift is we're not denying the power of that kind of experience, right? I think for so much, this gets into such a huge far reaching conversation, but so much has been about like suppressing the mystical, suppressing the things we can't explain and psilocybin mushrooms, really, you could say mushrooms in general, kind of break that wide open. And suddenly we're okay with interpreting things as they are and accepting experiences as they are without trying to suppress it or fit it into some box of like, oh, well, this is, you know, this is a, a try, basically trying to, yeah, suppress the spirit, suppress the mystical and psilocybin mushrooms for so many people. And then greater when you get into the kingdom of fungi, suddenly you become okay with like honoring the mystery. I'm not going to understand it all. I'm okay with having ineffable perspectives and realizations that 
aren't really about making sense or logic and like there's there's a huge part of that that's happening right now we're kind of coming out of this structured rigid reductionist time that's given us a lot and yielded many you know glorious fruits of those labors but now we're kind of integrating that with this understanding of the things that we can explain and and kind of incorporating that in the worldview and not kind of shoving that in the side or like you said shoving that in the closet these experiences can really serve as a conduit for people to learn about all of the other available mushrooms and functional mushrooms and like quite frankly you know i grew up with supermarkets and middle class i do not come from an alternative culture background you know i come from a very mainstream sports and church and and education background etc and that's what blew my mind about these mushrooms it's like why the fuck haven't i heard about these things like where have these things been hiding and why when I go to the supermarket, you just see button mushrooms and portobellos. And after, you know, those initial experiences and more research, even a decade later, I don't think I had heard of a cordyceps mushroom or a reishi. Then I joined the San Diego Mycological Society. I got connected to some cultivators. I started seeing reishi antlers show up, right? I started hearing about lion's mane mushroom. And that's really blown the world of fungi open to me. And I think that is one of the most valuable conduits from having a psilocybin experience or a, a magic mushroom, sacred mushroom experience is that you start to tap into this wider world. So I'd love to hear about you personally. What does your mushroom, functional mushroom regiment consist of? And where do you typically get your tinctures and potions and whatnot? That's such a good question. And just to kind of wrap on that point you just made, I had all those same impressions when I first discovered mushrooms. Like, where has this been? And my dad was a biologist for like 30 years. And I knew all about plants and we would have those conversations, nothing about mushrooms. Uh, and actually that's been a really cool thing about me then getting into it is it's exposed him. And I mean, he puts his brain on it. He's a genius by comparison. So he's able to like dig in and do his own research. And it's been really cool to like bring that into his kind of realm of, of biological understanding is like fungi mushrooms. And actually he acknowledged to me that, yeah, when he was at university teaching at university, he just like this mycological wave was coming near the end of his career. And he was like, I just couldn't get into it. Like it was this mega huge area of science. He's like, I had my area that I specialized in and I just couldn't quite make it in there. Um, but anyway, for me, functional mushrooms, um, I just had a great interview that I released with Christopher Hobbs, uh, who's a medical herbalist, medicinal mushroom guy. You know, I think his first pamphlet was published in 1989 about medicinal mushrooms. And he kind of blew, blew my mind about some of the truths about the medicinal mushroom industry, which we all know, like there's varying qualities of products. There's the classic mycelium versus fruiting body. It was actually another guest, uh, one of my favorite episodes, episode 44, my magic number, uh, Robert Rogers, who wrote The Fungal Pharmacy, came on and told me that for him, fruit body mycelium each have different compounds. He thinks that a mixture of both in an extract or something is actually the best. But then Chris Hobbs further is like, well, actually, you know, one of the best things about mushrooms is fiber. And he was blowing my mind about beta-glucans. We all know beta-glucans, water-soluble, amazing immune-boosting nutrient. 80% of the beta-glucans are like inexorably tied with the fiber in the chitin of the mushroom. And so that means when you make an extract, you're not getting, a, you're getting like 20 to 30% of the beta-glucans out of that. Whereas if you eat the mushroom, you get them all. Of course, with the caveat, you got to cook it first, break down that chitin somewhat so your tummy can handle it. Um, so that has like flipped around my, in terms of like process, you know, I was, I was a not very, I've never been a great supplement person because 
my discipline falls off. I think like so many people, you stop taking it. That was actually something else that Robert Rogers said. He's like, man, honestly, the biggest thing for people is just to take a good amount of it frequently for a long time. He's like, whether you're talking about an extract from mycelium, a dual extract, a triple extract from fruiting body, whether you're talking about powders, whatever it is, you have to do it consistently for a long time to start to see some of those benefits. So I've kind of retooled my sense of this. And, um, you know, we've got loads of dried mushrooms from foraging, dried reishi, uh, dried lion's mane from cultivating. And I'm starting using Christopher Hobbs method to make powders out of that. And then just adding it to like everything, smoothies, whatever. So I'm actually going on like the powderized fruit body tip right now. And I say I'm going in, I'm like two days deep. So we'll make sure that that keeps going. And I start to see some of those benefits. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm still like just, I mean, even after knowing about it for years, still trying to more firmly integrate functional mushrooms into my practice, but I keep hearing from all these people who are experts, different pieces of information that are kind of helping informing me and put together a different regimen. And that's always my advice to people is like, do that cursory research, whether that's listening to your podcast, my, you know, mushroom podcasts are great, but there's also tons of research online that you can read about. And for me, the message from Chris Hobbs that like, Hey, eat mushrooms. That's one of the best ways that made it like, okay, now I don't have an excuse. You know, before it was like, I can't decide what product and da, da, da. Now it's like, just eat more mushrooms and you'll get medical benefits. So, uh, so who knows? Maybe I'll keep on this current regimen of powderized. Maybe I'll just start eating them more every day and that'll be the medicinal regimen. Uh, but, but that's that's where I'm at, man. Yeah, you know, similar. I had known about these functional mushrooms for some time, but I never really incorporated them into my diet. You know, I think Ohm Mushrooms was the first supplement I ever bought because they're a San Diego company and I've met them a few times. The one thing I will take issue with though is if there's companies just trying to cash in on the rising tide, and I think there are many of those, and you go to the health food store and there's a whole row of supplements and it can be overwhelming. And now, maybe this happens to you too, but I have unintentionally kind of outed myself as someone that people wanna ask questions to as if I'm an authority. And I'm like, I've never heard of that brand, man. I have no fucking clue, you know? I, I do, but uh, I'm a big proponent of know your cultivator or cultivate yourself. So. I've got a, a reishi tincture, I've got a lion's mane, and I've got a, what was the other one? Cordyceps going right now, all with fruiting bodies that I either grew or I got them from the grower. And that's kind of where I'm at. I've got some stuff from William Padilla Brown. I really like him. You know, I met him at Telluride in person and got some lion's mane from him. Four Sigmatic sent me a bunch of stuff. So right now I'm kind of in this process of like, all right, what actually works? Like, what do I actually feel results from and, you know, combine them? There's actually a really interesting book. I don't know if you're familiar by Tero, who's the founder of Four Sigmatic. Healing Mushrooms, great book. And there's a little chart that says like what hours of the day he recommends taking which types of functional mushrooms. And I found that so interesting to be like, oh, turkey tail, we find it best if you take that in the AM hours. And please don't quote me on this, but it's just like this graph because I just thought like you take them all at the same time. But like if cordyceps pack a walloping punch of energy, are you really gonna wanna drink a bunch of cordyceps cacao right before going to bed? Probably not. So, you know, it's an ongoing learning experience, but I'm uh, really appreciating getting to know this firsthand and getting to find out what works for me because what works for me might not work the same for you. I think everybody should have a personalized regimen. That's huge. It's, yeah, you got to kind of listen to the body and that sounds kind of cliche, but I think, you know, 
that's a huge part of it is I, I've known people that are like allergic to morel and porcini mushrooms before. Now that's not like a classic functional mushroom, but just kind of illustrates that idea of like, you need to try these things, kind of be in touch with your body, figure out what's working for you, what's not, what resonates more. And yeah, for me, the kind of structured approach, it's never, it's not going to be my bag. I have a feeling. So for me, maybe it'll just be like adding more mushrooms into what I eat. Uh, and, and that will give me some of these medicinal benefits. Um, but yeah, I think, I think too, a lot of the protocols on the most effective use is probably still being derived, right? I mean, this is only this wave is only within the past decade or two, maybe you could say commercially. Uh, so we're probably going to see, and, and as we get informed by cultures like China and Japan that have so much more research and cultural history about medicinal mushrooms, that's going to keep seeping in and, and we'll kind of figure out what works best, I think. And that's part of the learning curve I want to touch on right now, Darren, because it seems like there's a huge, huge learning curve in fungi cultivation and mycology. Maybe not for everyone. For me, yes, it's taken me a couple years to actually feel semi-confident what I'm doing cultivating different types of mushrooms. I find that in many learning pursuits, there's this learning curve and then there's a plateau. And I'd be curious to hear about with you building Welcome to Mushroom Hour and learning a little bit more about cultivation, about foraging, etc. any angle tied to your mycopreneurial hustle. I'd be curious to hear about any particular experience or episode or maybe a mentor in your fungi education and career who really boosted your growth and accelerated your path to where you are now, the king of mushroom hour. <laughs> That's a great question. And I'm sure for a lot of guests, it's such a hard one because you just start thinking of all these different people that have influenced you or totally like flipped your wig and changed your perspectives on things you thought you knew. I will say that since I've started doing the podcast, there has not really been the same kind of plateau as before when I was just foraging in my local area in Northern California, kind of Bay Area and a little further north. I did kind of hit a plateau largely because I was always seeking edibles. I had limited time. So you never really got this like expansive, as expansive a knowledge gathering as then when I started having to interview guests uh, and especially you know, guests I, I've had on some folks from academic circles from universities. So then you start reading their papers and that really starts informing a lot. I actually, just to pick out one moment, I just had an interview or a few interviews and that haven't been released yet. That's kind of my dirty secret. I've got about 50 interviews I haven't released, but there are three in a row, two or three in a row from Stanford, folks who study community ecology, and they had some seminal experiments with fungi and using fungi. And just to see that as this larger piece of community ecology and to then start seeing this perspective that these guys get on how communities assemble, like how biological communities, what roles they fill in a niche, you know, and then from all the way the micro community to like organisms on your skin up to the macro, the entire planet, how you try to like cordon off certain communities to study, how can you figure out the roles? It's like, as I told one of the guests, it's almost too much for the human mind to map. Like that's physical reality happening. And these guys are looking back in the past and seeing how communities assembled in the past versus how they assemble today and like assembling these chronologies millions of years long. Like how do you even conceptualize this stuff? And in reading some of their papers and talking, luckily I got to do interviews with them like pretty sequentially. I started getting my sea legs a little bit on that massive topic of community ecology. So yeah, I think that's one example of where I didn't necessarily plateau, 
But in seeing fungi, as we all know, they fill all these biological niches, blockbuster symbioses all over the place in the natural world. When we simply just look, there's usually a fungi doing something important. But then to see that as the bigger picture of like how communities assemble and layer as different players arrive, uh, maybe the word of the day for, for some people was for me stochastically, which means randomly, there's stochastic arrival of different community players and how that dictates what kind of the peak ecology of a certain area is and how that might differ. If one mycorrhizal fungi came into the forest before another one, how does that change the whole composition of that forest? I mean, some of these questions are just like, whoa, like how, do you, how would you even experiment to figure that out? So yeah, I, I'd say that's been one, one recent example of just from, from a quote-unquote plateau to just like, whoa, things I, things I never even thought about before, all because of fungi. And I'm sure you've had similar, man, going through the podcast. I'm sure that's just been like a exponential increase for you as well. Yeah, you know, I have the same situation where I listen to some of the early episodes and I'm so proud or happy that they got out there, but I'm also so embarrassed about a few of them, you know, it's just especially when you're dealing with international interviews and the connections bad. And I remember Darren LeBaron. I love that dude, man. Darren Springer. I've got to hang out with him a few times. He actually rolled up on me in the middle of the mountains in Oaxaca with no plans. I was in this tiny town. A lot of people in the mushroom communities know it, San Jose del Pacifico. And I was filming this little video and all of a sudden I hear this familiar voice behind me and Darren's there. Like, this is awesome. But yeah, the first time I interviewed him, I was right here and it was like raining. It's a co-working space. There's tons of people around me. There's lag. And I'm like, I don't know if I can put this interview out, but I want to so badly because I really just love what he has to say. I love everything about him. It's been like that for a few, Josephine being another example, you know, with the challenging internet connection. But it's like, I don't want these technicalities and logistics to get in the way of these great stories. And if, you know, 100 people listen to this podcast and 80 of them are turned off because of those audio qualities, just the fact that more people heard about these stories, I'm like, I'm okay with that. That being said, Riverside has been a game changer for me. It doesn't always work. It's in beta phase. We've had a few stumbling blocks with that, but when it works, it really works. So got to give credit where credit's due. The sound quality is great, man. Honestly, I heard one of your recent podcasts and I kind of looked at, I was like, man, do I get to look at my audio again? This guy's audio sounds really good. Uh, you know, when you had reached out to me about the interview, you said, no, I, I think you're doing a great job. And I, I was kind of shaking my head when you were saying that, like, no, it's all about content, all about heart, getting the information out there. <clears throat> like I mentioned before, a friend, Chris Peck, he's like a music teacher, musician in the area. And that's what he told me. I've had moments where I am just like flipping out over audio, trying to get things right. There's an interview I did with Wade Davis, kind of world famous anthropologist. Just like, I don't even know why he, I, I, I don't even know why he came on the show. Uh, and admittedly, I didn't quite know who I was dealing with. And we first got it scheduled. You know, my wife had gone down this rabbit hole, which it, in case I haven't said that yet, there's, that's the whole reason Mushroom Hour exists. Cause my wife, the whole reason the podcast exists, she organized all the guests gets all like gets the whole thing teed up. And I just kind of show up and try to do my research. So I know what to talk about, but she went down this rabbit hole and Wade Davis's research and we're getting ready for the interview. He's like, oh, here's my newest book, The Magdalena, about Columbia's River of Dreams. And I start reading this book. I'm like, this is probably one of the best books that I've ever read. Um, who is it? And that's before I totally dove into his research. And then I'm seeing this guy's been to like 8 million TED Talks. He was the guy that discovered the Haitian zombie phenomenon. His mentor was Richard Schultes, who was actually the guy in the 30s who first explored South American philosophy traditions that later inspired Gordon Wasson. And I'm like, 
who is this guy? And so before the interview, I'm hyped. I had read the book. I had a million pages of notes. I'm like, we're just going to smash this. I'm going to go in. And, we're... and then I hear the audio later and it's just like oh, the first couple minutes are almost unlistenable. And I didn't know what was happening. I'm sure, you know, you've been familiar with the concept of gating. You know, there's some sound in the background that was causing his voice to go down and that sound to be amplified. Anyway, as way more novice even than I am today about audio, I was just like kicking myself. Like, oh my God, I can't believe it. And I was like, do I even release this? And that's where my buddy Chris Peck was like, no, man, the message is the message. It's got to get out there. People aren't really going to care. And part of that is because of the 2020 era. Most people are used to kind of grainy sounding interviews over Zoom because that's what everyone's had to do uh, because of because of old CV-19. Um, so it's kind of set the stage to like, Make people make people's ears a little more forgiving, and I think again, as he said, like the heart, the message is what matters most. If you have that, that's the part that you know so many shows or whatever don't have. So in listening to you, like you've got that, like the audio stuff will all come. And I think for anyone who's trying to start anything, really, that's where you know that's your starting point. If you've got the authenticity, you've got the stoke, you've got the heart and passion for it, just start going. And the imperfection of the delivery vehicle will kind of work itself out over time and get better. Word. Well, you know, as a fellow with a rather deep well of knowledge regarding exotic fungi, I'd love to ask you, what are some perhaps surprising culinary or medicinal mushrooms that you've come across or currently use that don't fit the more common lion's mane, reishi, cordy, oyster bill? Maybe something a little further afield or more difficult to find. What do you got for us on that front, Darren? That is a really good question. And I got to say, I actually don't use anything that exotic personally. I would love to. If someone came out of the bag with some crazy mushroom that, you know, um, has some medicinal benefit that you can't really get in the States, I'm all over it. Uh, but I just haven't had the opportunity. I will throw out one that I just heard on, with someone I interviewed, uh, actually from Singapore, talking about Philobolitis manipulara, I believe. I'll have to look that up again. Philobolitis manipulus something. Um, but it's a bioluminescent fungi that is edible. And he's actually trying to get local chefs there, if they can grow it reliably, and he's working on that, to serve that as kind of this crazy dining experience where you can actually eat a bioluminescent fungi and it apparently tastes good. Uh, so that's, you know, that's one example, but your question highlights like, man, there's probably thousands and thousands that out there that have medicinal benefits that we just don't use that much that's what i, I you probably are too but that's what i'm excited for in the next like decade is to see all these mushrooms that people figure out the code for cultivating in some reliable fashion and we start getting this like medicinal influx of more than yeah the big six or the big 10 we have now word antrodia is one that pops up i've or it's been popping up i think i can credit robert Rogers with it from Telluride. He was talking about it. And then I had a few more conversations with some other cultivator friends and there's the secrecy and buzz around it. Apparently it's very difficult to get. It's endemic to Taiwan. Even some people I know who have a tissue culture were like, I can't share this. The boss at my company said no one gets to touch this. And I think there, you know, a bioluminescent fungi that you could eat would just sell itself all over the world. And the, I would be so stoked. In fact, I want to cultivate them just to have them in like a terrarium. So that's something I'm actively looking at. You mentioned Alan 
Alan Rockefeller earlier. He's been on the pod. He does a lot of work with bioluminescent fungi in Mexico. And I think I've, I've heard him say that there's like 30, at least 30 different types that are in the region I'm at. So I really just got to get out there with a the black light, but I'm kind of afraid of the forest at night and that's on me. You know, I got to work up to that. But yeah, I am going out foraging with a local group tomorrow to find macromycetes, as they call them here. And that's going to be awesome because I get to connect with the whole community I'm not familiar with because I don't think they're from my town. They're traveling through, but they're from southern Mexico. So hopefully I'll have a lot more to report back on that soon. One other one I'll mention that is pretty commonly available in certain parts of the states, but I think is very exotic, exotic Huitlacoche, right? The corn fungus, corn fungi. I've seen that down here and it is awesome because you know, here, I don't think people really cultivate it. It just kind of happens. So you, it pops up few and far between. And it was one of those things where like, when I wasn't looking for it, I'd always see it. And now that I'm like, oh man, I want to get some wheat lacoche. Can't find it anywhere. I don't know, unless you're a mushroom fan, if you would like relish the flavor right off the bat, because it's kind of earthy. It's, it's very earthy. It's kind of nutty. But I, I will also say it can significantly enhance different cuisines it's used in. So I've had it on pizza. I've had it in quesadillas. In fact, there's a cool pizza place here in town where I live that has a oyster mushroom cacao pizza, and it is amazing. But they also have a wheat lacoche pizza. So like when it's put in the right mixture, it's fantastic. Takes everything to the next level. But yeah, I'm, I'm getting more creative in the kitchen with it. Just made some shiitake, smoked shiitake rishi tortilla soup last night. You know, I, I really want to see a uh, mushroom pop-up restaurant come up. We do potlucks at the San Diego Mycological Society, or we did back when we had in-person events. And I was like, why isn't this a pop-up restaurant? We're just, you know, Lion's Mane ceviche, Lion's Mane tacos, um, all kinds of creative stuff people are making. We did oyster mushroom po'boys. I think anybody out there who's listening who's like, fuck, that's a good idea. Run with that, dude. I think you could do a banging pop-up with that. I always dreamed that a vegan restaurant would start based around mushrooms because I myself am vegan. There's been like that explosion of vegan restaurants, love them to death, but the fake meat stuff I know is not good for me. Like I know it's perforating my gut and being horrible for me. I mean, I still scarf it down, but I'd love to see a vegan restaurant take that and run with it. Like, Hey, yeah. Oyster mushroom po' boys, pulled pork at a chanterelle. That's one of my favorite. Like, yeah, that that's a great idea, man, that I want to see that too. Okay, we've uh, pretty much dialed into everything I wanted to talk about today, but there's always one parting shot I have for the guests on Mycopreneur, and that's what are you working on right now? What's on the horizon? You've got 50 unreleased episodes, so that's a good idea, I think, just to sit on those for a rainy day and let them go when the time comes. But what are some other things you're working on you could share with us, Darren? That's the big one. That's the the huge editing project of you know the next few months, year, who knows. Um, so there's that. There's, you know, just getting back into the flow with posting on Mushroom Hour. You know, social media is such a powerful tool and a great way to give visibility. Uh, and, you know, my whole thing is I use social media now to try to encourage people to listen to the podcast because the amount of information transmission that you can get in, you know, a 60 second clip that does well on Instagram or TikTok you really is not even comparable to what you can get on an hour download from yeah, a micropreneur or an expert. So I always try to like push people in that direction. Like, Hey, if you're interested in this little bit, come enter the, the universe, come enter the microverse over here. So there's that getting back into social media. Uh, like we were talking about before the show, my wife and I just bought a house uh, actually in her hometown. So that's been a labor of love of, I mean, just like a crazy move from our old cottage to our to our new cottage. It's tiny, but we love it. And getting settled in there. And then 
kind of focusing on, so outside of the mushroom hour, I actually have an accounting firm and focusing on that and trying to grow that alongside mushroom hour. And that's actually one thing about mushroom hour. Um, I've gotten the question before about, you know, how much, how much money do you make and all that? I'm like, well, first of all, no one's in this for the money and that's good because there really isn't a lot right now. I mean, until you reach that critical mass. Um, but for me, because I do accounting during the day, I've kind of loved not having money at all involved with Mushroom Hour, at least not yet, because that's literally how my whole world is outside of this is like dollars and cents and analyzing all that kind of stuff. So it's nice to have this purely be kind of a, like a passion project hobby that usually takes more time than the other stuff um, that, that I can put out there. So yeah, man, those are the pillars, home stuff. Uh, and I'm sure you have this too, trying to spend more time with my partner. It's like, man, between all the work, between being a micropreneur, putting out podcasts, it's like actually getting to spend like real quality time. That's not like eating in front of the Netflix or something that that's probably my most important project. Thank you very much, Darren from Welcome to Mushroom Hour for joining us on the Micropreneur podcast. It's been a real pleasure. We look forward to following your micropreneurial journey. We fucking love you, dude. Likewise, man. Love what you're doing. Huge fan. Uh, stoked to, to watch it grow. Let's grow. There's so much to cover in the mushroom universe and so many micropreneurs leveraging the infinite potential of fungi to create a more ecologically balanced, inclusive, and equitable world for all of us mischievous little monkeys. I am completely stoked that you've chosen to spend some of your hard-earned time in our little corner of the microverse. Hop on the gram, say what's up, at Micopreneur Podcast. That's the handle. Don't get it twisted. We've got the full suite of social media up and running. Twitter, Micopreneur. Got the YouTubes dialed in, Micopreneur. Drop us a line. Tell your grandma and your kooky uncle. Tell your wife and your kids. If you're a Micopreneur yourself, you want to hop on the pod, by all means, willkommen, bienvenidos, welcome. Don't be a stranger. Let us know your thoughts on this episode, and also let us know what you want to hear in future episodes. This is a team effort. Thanks for stopping by the Micopreneur Podcast. Have a lovely day. We'll see you back here next week.